you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jesse Jackson. Welcome, Jesse. Well, Mads, welcome. I am excited to be here. I do need to warn your audience, I am not the Jesse Jackson. I am not the civil rights leader. Uh, I am a call center guy from Dallas, Texas, uh, just in case they were going, hey, the reverend's going to be here. Uh, But I will try to be entertaining to your guests, and I am thrilled to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you can't wait every time, you know. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Excellent, Jesse. So, Jesse, that uh, there is uh, a few people around the world who probably don't know who you are yet. Would you mind giving a little bit of an introduction, just your background and how you ended up where you are today? Sure. So as I said, my name is Jesse Jackson. I live just outside of Dallas, Texas, and I have spent my most of my adult career in call center business, contact centers. Um, I started in about 87, I, I was in an inbound selling auto insurance over the phone. Then I moved to a customer service center. Then I ended up managing a tech support center. Um, I spent a little bit of time in the retail business uh, selling Christmas lights and uh, franchisees and then uh, went back into the technical support. And I currently work for a company that offers roadside assistance in the RV industry. So I have just truly spent probably over 30 years working in, you know, people calling my team and complaining or asking a question. Uh, So that's what I do. I've managed everything from a, 10 person team to a 250 person team. I um, have one son, he is an adult, 31. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Linda, for over 35 years. Um, I am passionate about Bruce Springsteen. I host a Bruce Springsteen podcast. Uh, I'm passionate about Doctor Who and comic books. I do a Doctor Who podcast. And uh, I'm excited to kind of talk a little business. I usually end up talking, you know, my guests, we end up talking about Doctor Who or Bruce Springsteen or music. So it's kind of fun to be able to talk shop talk, work talk with someone. Excellent. Excellent, Jesse. So, yeah, I mean, you, you've definitely been around and, and what I really want to get out of today is make sure, you know, the audience, I mean, most of the audience here is small business owners, right? But yes. I'm, I'm really keen on making sure that, you know, they, they get a lot of good management advice out and you've definitely been around the block like myself. So uh, yeah. definitely, uh, yeah, lots of good stuff to share today. Yeah. So I think the topic we want to start with um, and this this is sometimes relevant to, to entrepreneurs as well. But if if you move into a brand new team, so let's say from an entrepreneur perspective, like let's say you're taking over a team or even you're buying a business or the like, so you, you're basically sitting foot in a brand new existing team. What's the best way to get going? How do you go in and get the trust built? How do you go in and, you know, make sure that people actually listen to you and, start behaving the way you would like. 
So um, I'm glad you asked that, Mads. Uh, this truly just happened to me um, in January of 2020. I was laid off. I had been a job almost five years. Uh, the company was going through uh, some tough times, and so they ended up releasing me. And I ended up starting another job almost immediately. I was so blessed. Um, so I started a new job on February 10th uh, with a wonderful company called CoachNet. And what we do is we offer roadside assistance um, in the RV industry. And um, so I, I'm sitting there and it's a call center, about 50, 60 agents, and the whole company is only 100 people. And um, so I start going and the first thing you want to do is I want to meet the agents. And so I, I said, okay, what I want to do is I want to meet with every agent. Um, and I asked them, you know, like three or four questions. I said, you know, tell me a little about yourself. What do you like about the job? What don't you like about the job? What do you think as a company we could do better? What do you want from me as the new director? And for fun, what song has to be on your uh, your <clears throat> road travel playlist? Like if you're building a, 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 a playlist for a trip, what song has to be on there? And so within two weeks, I had met every agent. And my, the fellow managers of other departments were shocked. They were like, I, I, I can't believe you've met with everyone already. I'm like, well, why else wouldn't I? And I ended up taking all their songs and put it on a Spotify playlist, you know, and I said, you know, CoachNet road trip songs. And, you know, and I took all that data and I put it together and then I shared it. I said that what the things that 60% of the agents said they liked most about the company is that they, it was a family atmosphere that they felt engaged. They felt like the company cared about them, you know? And uh, the number one thing they said that we should do better is communication. They didn't feel like they got enough information. And, you know, I went to my new boss and I said, okay, first off, I just gotta make sure I don't screw this up because, you know, their number, I mean, like six out of 10 of these people are saying they feel like this is a family and they feel like we truly care about them. I got to make sure that, you know, we, this is people pay, you know, thousands of dollars to get this kind of engagement. So that was the first thing I did is I made sure I met every agent and I made sure they knew about me. I was quick to tell them about myself and then, um, and I listened. So I think that's the first thing. If you're getting a new team, meet them and listen to them, truly listen. Um, I don't know about you, Mads, but I've worked with plenty of consultants and you'll go, you know, a consultant will say, well, what's your biggest problem? And you'll say, oh, well, my biggest problem is my agents don't feel empowered. Oh, don't you really mean that your biggest problem is a knowledge base? <laughs> because that's what they're selling, right? And like, no, no, no. Uh, so that would be my answer, right? Is to truly listen to what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and, and actually in every major company that I've ever worked in, I've worked with, uh, and I've, I mean, I've worked with IBM and Xerox and multiple big companies, right? And the biggest challenge fundamentally, generally, is communication, right? And yes. what, what I see being the biggest challenge is the fact that, you know, we all communicate differently, 
And, you know, some people much prefer written communication. Some people much prefer oral communication. And fundamentally, the problem is that every leader communicates the way they prefer to communicate. And the challenge is that in most cases, that only, you know, that maybe somewhere between 40 to 80% of your staff is comfortable with whatever communication style that is. But you always have a, a relatively decent gap of people who don't communicate like the leader, right? And I think one of the biggest challenges as a leader is to do that effectively, right? Just like everyone else. Like I, I have certain communication styles, but, but definitely... Uh, learning to actually communicate in a way that's suitable for all people on a consistent level is the most difficult, right? I totally agree. And the issue, uh, you know, another similar issue is, right, trying to manage people who have a different work ethic than yours. Like you expect everyone to work the way you do. And then if they have a different work ethic, it's kind of hard to manage that. Um, some advice I got uh, just recently is to um, throw out communication in multiple ways. So we, um, I send an email, I send it in Teams, I send it on, uh, you know, um, Yammer, you know, um, and I am actually thinking about recording, you know, my memo <laughs> and posting it on just a video for those who want to hear it vocally and want to do because of that exact reason. Not everyone reads email, even though you tell them it's mandatory. You got to read email. You got to read email. They don't. You got to look at teams. They don't. And so, uh, you know, in trying to get that out there in multiple ways so that someone will get it, I think is just vital. And I think that's just a perfect point. And, and I think it's also about understanding people, right? So right. like exactly as you say, like some people don't read emails very well, right? And, and the, the thing is, it's not like they're sitting and saying, oh, I don't want to read the emails from Bossman, right? Like that's not the point. The, the whole point is that some people are just not good with written communication. And yes, you can sit down and say, well, if they can't read the email, they can't work here and all that kind of stuff, right? But, but reality is like I, I have people that, you know, particularly when I work with bigger teams where, you know, I, I send out a very important email and what do I do? The first thing I do after doing that is I call up these people and I talk them through it. Right? Yes. Now it's not because I'm giving them special treatment. That's not the point, but the whole point is that I know the way their brain works, the way they, you know, the way they operate is, you know, if Bossman have something really important to say, I'm sure he will call me. He wouldn't just mm -hmm. send one of those unpersonal emails and expect me to get it, right? And, and reality is some people, when they sit and like, let's say your company sends out a new process or something exciting. <laughs> um, some people, like they can physically sit down and read it, but they won't get it. They won't understand it just by reading it, right? And the whole thing is that if you actually take the time and the effort to actually call them or talk with them, sit down with them and explain it, then they generally will get it, right? And the whole point is that at that point in time, you're doing something that no one else has done. And that means that you are going to get significantly more out of that individual. Now, yeah, and 
you know, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, four or five agents or employees at a time just getting together, um, you know, having cookies and Kool-Aid or bagels and coffee or whatever. I'm a big guy. I believe in snacks. I believe if you have a party, you got to have a snack. So when I have my agents come over, right, and um, and you talk about it and you go over, hey, did you understand this new email? Did you understand this new procedure? I also think um, you know, I've said this multiple times, Mads, but most, most bad managers, bad bosses treat their employees like mushrooms. They keep them in the dark, they feed them BS, and they expect them to grow. And, um, you know, I tend to try to, um, try to explain why we're making this change if we're changing the policy or we're coming up with a new uh, rule or we're bringing in a new client or something, I try to explain to them, this is why I'm doing this. It's not just because I'm, you know, I, I'm a rule crazy guy. You know, there is a reason why we want to do this. For example, uh, we, we rely, we rely on a net promoter score very heavy as a company. And so when we started running reports, we saw that over half the agents were not getting an email address on their call. And, you know, so we're like, okay, if you don't get an email address, there's no way we can send them a survey. And if they don't fill out a survey, they can't tell what a good job you've done. Yeah, Jesse, but if I did a bad job, they can tell me too. Yes, but first off, you're not trying to do a bad job. So it's going to be okay. Um, and so we started meeting with the agents and gang, this is really important. And, you know, we, we, we managed it, we tracked it, we, we had fun with it. And, you know, we're now up to 80% of the calls are getting an email. Um, but they didn't understand. And, you know, and I said that, you're you're increasing our chance to hear good news from our clients and so just and by just getting it and the reality is maybe one out of 20 are going to tell you Mads I've already given you my email why are you asking again or I don't want an email because I don't want you spamming me most people are just going to go yeah here's my email address because they're just used to it yeah yeah and that's I mean that's that's the case, right? And and I think in in many cases, from my my point of view, one of the key things that I've seen is when you when you have things that are being rolled out, or when you're doing things in your company, that the worst thing you can do as a leader is to push the bucket or push the blame. I've I've seen so many leaders, and and if you even if you're an entrepreneur, like if you have managers or people working with you, this is key to look out for. But if you ask a manager to get something done, and that can be something very unpopular. I mean, that could be, you know, you have to cut staff or, you know, you have to change things or you have to implement processes that are unpopular. One of the key things as a manager or as a business owner is to own it. Yes. Right? So many people is like, oh, well, you know, I don't agree with this either, but the boss says we have to do it. So therefore you have to do it, right? The problem is if you put up that front, if you ever as a leader do that to your team, 
And yes, you're doing it to your team. What happens is about three things. One, they lose respect for you because it's obvious that you're not in control. Two, they're actually not going to put much effort into doing what it is you're asking them to do because they know that even you as, you, as the boss doesn't agree with it, right? And three, fundamentally, you're actually losing leadership over the team, right? So like when you're in a management meeting or when you're talking with your team, right? Like you can disagree in a meeting as much as you like, right? But the whole thing is, whatever a decision is, as a manager or as a business owner, you have to always 100% be behind that decision, right? No matter how much you disagree with it, the second you walk out of the room and start talking to your team, you have to support that decision even when you're against it or if you disagree with it, right? And this is one of the key things for me that that's one of the things that really shows you as a leader when you're able and capable of doing that extremely well. Okay. Yeah, I, I have a good example of that. Um, this was a couple of jobs ago. Uh, we had a new SVP and he came to me as the director and said, um, I, need, I need to find, you know, I don't remember exactly, but X amount of dollars cut out of your next year budget. I, I need to have it. And so, you know, I pulled my team together and we were in a conference room and I said, okay, here's the deal. Our, um, our new SVP, Mike, needs us to find X dollars. And so I'm going to find those dollars. I can do it with your help and it will make it a lot easier or I can do it without you, but I am going to do it. So I would rather do it with you because I want, you know, I'm into collaboration. So if you guys want to help me, great. Now let's take the first 10 minutes and complain about it's not fair. I can't believe they're cutting this much money. What about other departments? Let's get all that out. And then, okay, take a sigh, and then let's move forward. Um, you know, and I, I also am a big believer. Um, by the way, I, I totally echo you. Behind closed doors, you argue, you, you fight for your point of view, you, you explain why you think this is a bad decision. But if the bosses or your fellow managers, right, as an executive team, they come up, this is the plan, then that's the plan. And um, I, I will give you, this is extra bonus, Mads, for your listeners. As I told you, I'd been I've been married 35 years. One of the key things that has made our marriage successful is very early in our marriage, we said, you can't say, well, I didn't think it was a good idea to begin with. Like, okay, we, you and I made the decision. This is what we're going to do. Yes, we're going to buy the car. Uh, no, we're not going to buy a new washing machine. We're going to repair the old one. <clears throat> we're going to send the kid to Catholic school, whatever we do. And then if it, if after we repair the washing machine, two months later, it breaks down again and we have to buy a new one. You aren't allowed to say, well, you know, I never did think we should have repaired it. Nope. Now's the time to say it. And we both 
lock into that um, where at the time we made the best decision we do. Now's the time to echo any, you know, concerns or thoughts. Same thing in business, right? Behind closed doors, now's the time to go. This is why I think this is a bad idea. This is why I think we shouldn't do this. Then back and forth. And then once you leave that door, it's a united front that this is, this is the plan. This is what we're going to execute. And I am right there because as you said so eloquently, if you try to go, well, I don't really think it'll work, your team's not going to follow you and they're not going to put their 100% effort into it. Yeah, and that's uh, 100% spot on. Right, Jesse, what, what's the biggest challenge you have ever faced in a management position? So I, uh, the biggest challenge I had is I had been with a company 14 years, a company called Bank Tech. And I was laid off. We, we outsourced. The company decided to outsource uh, things to uh, another company. The, they went to my customer service scene, all went to India, and I was involved with that process. And then they let me go. I worked myself out of a job. And so I had not started a new job. Like I started that job at 29 And so then I was, you know, 44 when I'm starting this new job, right? And so I started a new job with a tech support company and um, and I would bring up new ideas and they go, oh yeah, we, that won't work here. Oh no, that we tried that. And I went, oh, okay. And I didn't have confidence in myself because I was like, well, you know, I'm at, I'm brand new in this company, and just because what I've done with this other company for 14 years, I started as a support agent, worked my way up to director. Well, maybe that's just mad, you know. Maybe that's just make believe. Why am I going to really do this? And I didn't believe in myself. And the next time I got a new job, I didn't make that mistake. In other words, I listened. But if I thought this was the best idea, I would bring it up. And when they brought it up, like, oh, we've tried that or no, that's not going to work here. I'm like, well, okay, tell me why. How did it fail? And I addressed it. Then I said, okay, it may not work, but we're going to try it anyway. And so I think that was my biggest going is starting this new job and not listening to my gut, not believing what, what I had seen had worked before and doubting myself. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Totally, totally. And yeah. I, I think, I mean, generally my experience in management, right? Like I'm, I'm not by nature what you would define as a, as a you know, born manager. Um, right. Like typically when people say that, they're, they're typically thinking about very assertive, you know, people that are very comfortable making decisions and so on and so forth, right? That, that's definitely not my nature. Right. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I've had going for me most of my life, at least, is the fact that I've always had a lot of confidence. Right. So, yeah. And the whole thing is most people think confidence is about having other people believing in you and all that. But no, confidence is, a, is about you believing in you. Right. Yes. And the key aspect with confidence and, and what it actually brings to the table is the fact that when you say things, when you come up with suggestions, when you have ideas, you know, you're not afraid to push them out 
and you're not afraid to stand behind them, right? And and I mean, I've been organizations where I've had very heated discussions with people, you know, several level of all my pay grade, but I've been comfortable taking those decisions because I've been very confident in my own skills and ability, right? Yeah, and I think that's perfectly said, Mads. I, um, you know, I listen, I know what's worked in the past, I know how something has been successful. And so you go to uh, upper management and you you make the pitch. I also think a, a lot of mistakes um, middle management does, and I realize a lot of your listeners are small business and entrepreneurs, but the concept the same is you don't use facts. You go to your boss with feelings and instead of having data, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm not saying, you know, like um, analytics, like in baseball, you're like money ball. I'm not saying that, but you have to have data that you can go and say, um, you know, long time in a career I was making, all my agents were making $10 an hour and Mads, we were, we were just a turnover machine. I mean, just, we would hire 20 people and only eight would make it through the training. And by three months, we'd only have three people left. And we were just, just, we could not keep people together. And so I looked and I found out that a agent at, with six months tenure was 40% more productive than a brand new agent. And so I did the math and I went to my bosses and I said, okay, I'm going to raise starting salary to 12 bucks an hour. Oh, Jesse, I said, hold on. I will need fewer agents because I will not have many people as leave. And with the tenure, I will need instead of, you know, and I don't remember the exact, but instead of 150 agents, I'm only going to need 120 agents. And so that 30 agents I don't need is how I'm going to pay for that. And they said, okay, we're good. And then the second part, Mads, is I went to every agent and I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to start this new class at 12 bucks an hour. You're making $10 an hour and you're going to train them. I can't raise your salary now, but I can in January under the new budget. So what I need you to understand, and this was like in October, for the next couple of months, it's going to suck. I agree. You're not making, you're making less money than the new people, but I will fix it in January and you will have your job will be easier because we'll have better people and we won't have. And everyone with the exception of one person said, oh, Jesse, we need better people. Whatever you need to do, you didn't have to do anything. One person said, no, I'm not going to work. And she gave her notice and quit, but everyone else stuck with me. And it sure, it worked perfect. I mean, we actually, because we, we dropped turnover, we got better people. And so two things, one, I had data. Two, I went and explained it. And then three, I included my agents in the decision. I, I got their buy-in um, so that we were working this together as a team. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think that's, I mean, that, that's the right mindset, right? I think, I think so often, uh, again, as a manager, it is, uh, as a boss in any situation, right? It is easy to make the right decisions, in your opinion, and, and just roll them out. But, 
exactly as you're doing with actually including the team, it makes such a big difference in the feeling of the team, right? And and uh, again, like it's it's all about buying, right? The, the same way when you like when I work with my staff, right? If if they come up with an idea, one of the things that I screwed up the most in my career, particularly early on, was the fact that you know I would take an idea they come up with improve it 5% and then tell them to do that instead. But the whole thing is if someone comes to you with an idea, they're excited. They're like, Hey, I want to do this thing, boss, man. You know, I want, I want to go do this. And if you're like, Oh, well, uh, that sounds like a great idea, but you know, don't do it like this, do it like that. Right. What happens is it actually stops being their idea and starts being your idea instead. So you're much, much better letting them go do their idea and you generally get a much better output, even if it's not 100% the way you expected it, but actually letting people take the ownership. And here's the key thing. If something isn't working and it's their idea, they're gonna fight to fix it. They're gonna fight to make it work. The problem is if it's your idea and it's not working or if it's not bring the result they're like well you know you said i had to do it this way so you know you screwed up and it becomes a blame game instead of anything else right so so the the, the ability and, and and the strength to actually let people do things let people come up with ideas and and even if you don't necessarily agree with them 100 percent, still occasionally let people go and do it right i'm not saying you have to do it every single time because you know Sometimes ideas aren't the best, but but very often you will gain so much more by letting people execute their ideas, right? Because the buy-in behind them is so much higher. Now, the key thing that I like doing when people come up with ideas is set an expectation to outcome. So if someone will come to me, for example, as you're talking about with salary and say, hey, you know, why don't we raise salary for people? And, you know, we, we should be able to save more money and so on. And I would say, great, here's the goal, right? I'm okay to raise the salary 20%. If we can, you know, increase or increase our retention rate by X amount of percent, right? So, so that you set some very, very clear goals and objectives for the outcome of what people is looking to do. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes it doesn't get the desired result, Right. But the whole thing with setting goals and objective is the fact that then you go back to people and say, well, you know, now we have increased the salary. We're not seeing the full benefit we expected. So we need to find a different way with our existing budget to get there, right? And when it's people's own ideas, again, they will fight to make it happen, right? I, I absolutely love that. Yeah, the idea is... Um getting them engaged, letting them come up with ideas. Um, often we will, as managers, we'll say we have an open door policy, but every time you have an idea, someone gives an idea, you disagree with it or no, it don't work. Um, and then, so sometimes you have to just say, as you said, okay, between you and me, I'm not sure, you know, like I'm talking to you as my peer, right? My team wants to try this. Don't know if it's going to work, but you know what? I think it's worth a shot. They're passionate about it. They have a good plan. 
you know, we're going to go through this and I'm going to give it 100% of my support. And then, as you said, we're going to have key milestones and key metrics of what what we're trying to accomplish. And then ask afterwards, okay, we didn't get what we want. Why do we think that is? And because they're engaged, because it was their idea, they're going to go, well, we think this or we think this and you could help it out. So I, I, I do think that's really important to do. Um, you know, the other question I get a lot is if, if you're having an issue, let's say in my case, um, our phone calls aren't getting answered enough, you know, fast enough. So we'll come up with some ideas and uh, we'll try three or four things and then the problem's fixed. And my boss will come, well, what fixed it? I'm like, I don't know, because we tried three or four things because we didn't have time to do the scientific method. Try one thing. Okay, did that help? Now let's undo it. Let's try something else. I said, you know, we tried everything and maybe a little bit of everything helped, but the bottom line is we got this going. Um, and you have to send a message that, I hear you and I value what you do. And even if they come up with something that's unfeasible, treat it with respect and let's talk about it. Well, let's break this down. What's your thoughts and go through it. And uh, they may say, oh, well, I see why that won't work. Let me go back and play with it some more. Yep. Excellent. Yes. Well, I think that's great, Jesse. I think that's great. Um, before we finish up here, and any sort of resources or any books or anything that you would recommend for the audience from a management standpoint that you have had? Yeah, uh, yeah. one of the things that it's funny, Patrick Lennessy has a book, The Three Signs of a Miserable Job. And it talks about, it's one of my favorite books because it talks about employees want boundaries. They are like, teenagers they want rules you know and so they want clear goals they want to be measured they want to do that that's one of my favorite things um the other thing and this is hilarious because i quote this all the time mads um and it's from a stupid tv show um i, I am a huge aaron sorkin fan i love west wing i love studio 60 but his first show he wrote was sports night and there's a scene where uh, Robert Guillaume, who was in Benson and all this other wonderful character actor, in he's talking to an employee that was afraid to disagree with him. And Isaac Jaffe is the character's name. And Isaac says, I don't know much, but I know this. If you're dumb, you surround yourself with smart people. If you're smart, you surround yourself with smart people who disagree with you. And I say that at almost every new job I have. And I tell that to my team, when I bring you on as my subordinates, as my team, whether I'm a director, you're a manager, whether I'm a manager, you're a supervisor, whether I'm a supervisor and you're my team lead, whatever we do, I need you to, I don't need yes siblings. I need people that poke and fight that th why this isn't a good idea so that we can make sure it's sturdy and work it out. So I use that story a lot to me when I'm building a team. Yeah, 
that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Right, Jesse. Thank you very very much for joining me today. It was awesome to have you on. If people are eager to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do so? So I would love to hear from people. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. My email address for I, I do do a Bruce Springsteen podcast. Uh, for the past five years, I've talked to fans of Bruce Springsteen's music from around the world, uh, sharing stories about the power and the magic of rock and roll. I also, if you're passionate about any musician, I would love to have you on. Um, that is setlustingbruce at gmail.com is my email address. So I would love to hear from people. Uh, and, you know, if you want to just talk to me about Star Trek, Doctor Who, uh, Bruce Springsteen, or management. I would love to talk to you, and I would welcome any feedback or thoughts. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And for the audience, we'll be back again next week. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.